be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. Tonight, I'm Jamin. That is... Victoria. And you are... I'm Jacob. Hi. Hello. Hello. How's it going tonight? Oh, jolly good. How are you? I'm happy. I just opened a fresh juice box and I'm ready to discuss. Excellent. Well, tonight's topic was suggested by strange rune-like patterns that appeared in a Cinnabon-flavored pancake I shouldn't have eaten last week. <laughs> so, okay, I want to know more about this. Was it the reading of the pancake itself, or what yes. happened after the pancake? No, the pancake had strange rune-like markings. So, explain, please, well, please it was, tell it was us from Cinnab- Cinnabon. Of course it did. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And I, I believe that they suggested worms as a topic. And it definitely wasn't sugar-induced hallucinations. It might have been. (laughs) You're smiling so gleefully that I'm wondering, like, okay, so what did this pancake look like? Like, (laughs) Well, it didn't look like much for very long. (laughs) No, it looked like breakfast. (laughs) Okay, so gotcha, 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 gotcha. So we have the pancake, the Oracle pancake, to thank for... What to me is a little bit of a traumatic episode. He's He's been excited all week. Like, he's been skipping around the house. He's been humming to himself. He was out in the compost, ruffling through the compost, just digging through the leaves. Just for inspiration. Yeah. Gleefully. Should we, t- should we say what our subject is for today? It's worms. I got worms. That's, <laughs> the, that's the name of my business. Got worms? Well, I have to tell you that when we first started talking about worms, I was excited about it. And then as I started researching it, I was reminded of my thing about worms. Like I, I'm fine with spiders. I'm fine with snakes. Worms freak me the freak out. Really? Yeah, I started to feel kind of a little ooky. And today, while I was eating my, my dinner, my salad before this. Your spaghetti? <laughs> Yeah, all I could think about was worms, because also I have this, like, Pogue song just about worms playing through my head constantly. You do like the Pogues. I do like the Pogues. I'd like to lean into this trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. I'm somebody who leans into trauma, so that's fine. And I, and I did do some working through my trauma. That is actually going to be a part of my embroidery project. So, <laughs> What was that? <laughs> it sounded like a little tiny elephant. <laughs> it's a little laugh. <laughs> it's a little worm laugh. <laughs> well, before we get moving too hard on this one, did anyone bring anything to the party? Oh, I brought some entertainment. Oh? Yes. Being wrapped in flames and thrown into a red-hot cavern and treated like a worm, along with the patricides and the uncircumcised, while the sun sets on a whispering infernal tempest. Whoa. So- a whispering tempest. Yes. Did you plan this one on account of the worms? I did press refresh. Yeah, I did tweak it a little bit to get the worms in there. You hit generate multiple times until it said worm. How how long? Four. (laughs) Statistically, worms are quite high in my algorithm. Logical. 
No. Is that part of your Tinder profile? <laughs> <laughs> we should count giggle snorts this episode. I think we're up to two. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. So I did. I brought something, and it's kind of a, it's kind of on the nose, but I'm bringing mescal mm. because oh, it has the worm in it. Of course. Yes. So I just wanted to give you a little history about that because there's a lot of controversies or actually there's some some there's some mythology about it that not all tequila has worms in it and so mezcal is the only thing that has a worm in it and it is actually the result of a college student <laughs> it's, it's it, again we can trace it back to this saloon in canada where somebody walked in with a worm no just kidding so, uh, started in the 50s when a Mexican mezcal maker discovered moth larvae in a bunch of mezcal. So, he thought it actually, the worm made it taste better. So, he started adding it to the bottles as a marketing strategy. Oh. So, after that, a lot of other manufacturers started following suit. So, now, for the most part, you know, bottles don't contain the worms. And, and in fact, it's illegal, according to the Mexican Standards Authority. You're not really supposed <laughs> to have worms in your liquor. But if you do find a worm, it's usually lower in mezcal. One of the other things that people believe about the tequila worm or the mezcal worm is that it'll make you hallucinate. But that's not really the case. In fact, it's probably because you just drank a whole bottle of mezcal to get to the worm. Yeah, that you yeah. Hallucinate. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of mm -hmm. the absinthe argument. But yeah, it's totally fine to eat the worm. Um, some people say it tastes like chicken. Other people it say, you know, some people unlikely. say you should chew it to get the full flavor of the it's worm. It's probably safer than the toe. I think it's much safer than the toe. Um, so, there's, you know. There's a Pratchett bit here. Uh, in one of his books, he says, oh, well, the worm shows that it's strong. To which another person says, strong enough to drown a worm? <laughs> 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 but you can also get scorpion mezcal and oh yeah have, have you seen that before yes yes so the stinger and the poison are removed and that is totally legal for the mexican standard authority says you can totally put a scorpion in hmm. well, thank god mm -hmm. yep yep, hmm. yep 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 it's fda approved yeah so there we go enjoy your uh mezcal with the gummy worms that i in there because I can't handle real worms. Well, speaking of, of gummy worms, that kind of ties in. I brought dessert. Oh. I actually, I've had this one before at, at a party and it, the the host did a really good job. It's just a flower pot cake. Oh, okay. Um, those are fun. It was, basically, you take a, a flower pot, clean, preferably, yes. and you put pudding in it and then you crumble up Oreos on top that make it look like dirt and you put a fake flower in it. And then, of okay. course, you've got gummy worms down in the, um, in the pudding. So, like, yeah. you serve it with a garden trowel. And hers looked like it was so good, it looked like fake dirt, and she had a little fake flower in it, and it looked Aww. absolutely great. And she's like, all right, guys, who's ready for dessert? And we're like, yay. And she takes the, the garden trowel, sticks it into the pot in the center of the table, which had been there the whole night, and we never realized. <laughs> right? And we're like, oh, it's pudding, and there's worms in the pudding. And it's, it was absolutely great. It's hot cuisine. Yeah, definitely. Check out, uh, <laughs> check out, not, not Tinder, what's the other one? Pinterest. <laughs> well, that also explains a lot if you've been uh you know getting your dates from pinterest and so the nice thing about this is because it's in the flower pot you you can't really see anything and so you can use chocolate pudding you can use lemon pudding you can use avocado pudding and it's all delicious okay mm, nice I like that have you seen the kitty litter cakes 
Yes, this is that same vein. Yeah. It's the genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a nicer, like the kitty, I don't know, that just seems, you know, like, eh. Maybe for six-year-olds. I know yeah. it's lowbrow, but I really like dirt cake a lot. I'm, I'm pro dirt cake. Like, so, yeah. so, 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 like, cold and creamy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, the, and like, some recipes are like, just put pudding in a flower pot, and this one is, mix pudding with cream cheese and put it in a flower pot. Hmm. And you're oh, like, mmm, yes. It's kind of, a, it's more sturdy that way. Yes. Okay. Structural dirt. Mmm. I do have a bit of hell news. Oh. Okay. So, a recent article from The Conversation by Christopher Douglas, he talks about how conservatives have a new word to call out the Satan-worshipping, sex-trafficking, liberal conspiracy. <gasps> and that is Democrats. <laughs> wow. I mean, are they even trying anymore? Yeah, that, no. man, he sure worked hard on that one. Yeah, well, that's not his word. That's That's their word. But the rest of the article goes on to kind of talk about, like, modern political stretch the word rhetoric and apocalyptic writing from the third century and oh, kind I of how they, third grade how they <laughs> line up together and how apocalyptic theology is really not compatible with democracy at all because if you start saying that your opponent is sent by satan to destroy your world it's very hard to have a shared dialogue and say things like i guess both sides have valid things to say and isn't it great that we have such a diverse nation because the other side is satan and also, anything you do to get your opponent out of power is perfectly legit. Mm-hmm. It's a depressing article, but there's a really fun infographic in it. It's sort of this inverted pyramid of conspiracy theories, starting <laughs> with like Watergate at the bottom as grounded in reality and going up towards Jewish space lasers at the top. Oh, sort of wow. Cloud cuckoo land. I want a Jewish space laser pin. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's like I- army patches for them. I don't know where I would wear it. Everywhere. I, you know what? Dear listeners, please support us on Patreon so I can buy space laser pins. I'm sure it's on Etsy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, is that a Democrats? Is that trademark? Could we use that for merch? I don't want to be associated with politics. Well, this is uh, kind of reclaiming us. Reclaiming what's corner. rightfully ours. <laughs> I do think, I mean, as as a Democrat, I do think that it would be a lot sexier if we did come in wearing like long red robes, blue, blue robes, <laughs> long long blue robes. You know, I'd add a certain sense of drama to things. Hmm. I mean, you're not yeah. wrong. Yeah, and I feel like I I don't know all of these uh, things. Like, okay, so if you know Democrats are like Wiccans and sat- Satanists, then if we had those powers, wouldn't we be doing something with that? Yeah. You know. Well, trying to destroy society, obviously. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean... They actually have us there. Yeah. Well, it'd be... Like, if Democrats were Wiccan, we'd be sprinkling patchouli everywhere. And that does kind of destroy society. So... Cue uh, angry letters from Wiccans. <laughs> <laughs> no. Please, don't send me a patchouli-scented hate mail. <laughs> oh, on the subject of patchouli, we open up our sample pack from House of Phaedra, Incenses and Fragrances. And it was a lot of fun to go through them all. Mm-hmm. I the sniffed open, every one. I did too. The open grave was just kind of entirely, I think, all of our favorites. It had yeah. these great notes of grass and darkness and rain on new ground. Was it open grave or in the grave? In the grave. Let me look it up. Because I kept thinking it was in the gnome <laughs> when I was reading, the, which I thought was very, very clever. There was a there was a brief conversation. There was a brief discussion on 
whether it smelled more like Geosmin or Petrichor. And I feel mm-hmm. like we, we lost. We both lost. So I forgot who was. I don't think I used either of those words. I said it. Uh, no, say it again. It smelled like either a what or Petrichor? Geosmin or Petrichor. I thought it smelled like a passage grape. Yeah. Which would be more in keeping with that. The Petrichor or the... Okay, what was the word you were using? You said Petrichor. Uh-huh. I said Geosmin. What is that word? It's Well, it's the same as Petrichor, except in Latin. Oh, okay. Awesome. Oh, oh so you're making a joke. Oh, you were making a joke. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I should have no. used I should have used the joke font. <laughs> you should have done the kind of like ah ah, ah, ah face. Ah. I think that from now on when you're making a joke that uh ah, goes over ah. both of our heads, you have to do that ah ah and the von Krampus perfume also crowd pleaser? I I think you guys were were pleased. I liked the Mistress Krampus yeah, better. I liked Mistress Krampus. At the at the end of the day, though, like I came home and everything was smelling like marshmallows burning in a flower factory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is not bad. No, it's I not. The next day, which still I I had the the joy of the perfume in my environment, it, it started to smell like pipe tobacco to me, and oh. and I meant that in a very good way. Oh, like, I love, as it I mellowed, love pipe tobacco. Yeah, nice. It started to smell like yeah. pipe tobacco. Mm-hmm. So thank you, House of Phaedra. Yay. Yay! Thank you. We we had we had a lot of fun talking about the scents and smelling nice for once in our miserable lives. It's true. Did you know that one of the main torments of hell is the incredible stench? Huh. I think it's well, number. I think it's number five. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. In the Unfurnace book, there's a description of what hell smells like. Oh yeah. I'm not surprised at all. Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about uh, worms for a bit? I'd love sure. to talk about worms. Okay. We have several segments several. lined Ooh. up for you. Can I give a brief overview on what's about to happen? Yes. Okay. So Jacob said, giggling to himself, Mark 948. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start with the NIV because it's at the top of the list. And it says, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Mark mm-hmm. 948. Not bad. Thank you. And this is directly quoted from Isaiah 66.24, where they say, Isaiah says, And they go forth, they will see the corpses of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm will never die, and the fire will never be quenched, and they will be a horror to all mankind. That's nice. That's nice. It makes me feel kind of warm inside. Yeah. We're going to be talking about worms, what they are, but the bigger picture here, Mark, is one of the four Gospels. Mm-hmm. Right? Gospel is Old English, good spell, the good news. In Greek, it would be like Evangelios or Evangelion, which is giant robots with cute anime girls. Hmm. Yes. About the purpose and teachings of Jesus. Right? Okay. Isaiah in the early church was almost considered the fifth gospel. Right? Hmm. It was in that same vein, it was seen in that same light, is this is the coming good news, these are the things that happen. And this is kind of after the fact, applying all prophecies to Jesus sort of mode? Yes. Okay. Right. So, Isaiah as the fifth gospel, quoted by Ungospel, talking about what worms is, what worms isn't, what they do, what they doesn't, few worms. Okay. Well, generally, 
people agree that these particular worms are maggots because they feast on decaying things, and that's kind of tied into the Gehenna hell as great dumpster fire sort of idea. The association with, with worms and the afterlife goes back way far back than that. I think it turns up a few times in Egyptian mythology. And my favorite reference to Gilgamesh and Enkidu in the story of Gilgamesh and the Netherworld, we have this very sad moment where Gilgamesh has sent his friend Enkidu to the underworld where he will not be able to come back. And Enkidu gives him a very sobby moment where he says something along the lines of, gets blue here, uh, my friend, the penis that you touched so that your heart rejoiced, worms devour it like an old garment. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That yeah. thing, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Who could forget? Well, I wanted to. <laughs> and then there's a lot of like year 300-ish references to worms that kind of after post-biblical stuff. I was reading a book by John Casey called Afterlives, where he, he's, it's a very kind of thoughty history of heaven, hell, and purgatory. It's a good book. And he talks about a writer called Lactantius, who had a lot to say about the persecution of Christians, and then what happens to people that persecute Christians. Mm-hmm. And this kind of feeds, he thinks, into a lot of the the general hellish language down the road. In particular, he referenced the death of Gaius Galerius Valerius Maximinius. Easy for you to say. Not too. Uh, who was the last emperor of Rome to persecute Christians. Oh, yes. okay. And actually, in his dying act, he legalized Christianity. The story of his death is very worm-relevant and horrible. Just tell me when I should stop. Uh-oh. You're asking the wrong people. <laughs> right. God struck Galerius with an incurable plague. A malignant ulcer formed itself low in his secret parts and spread by degrees. The ulcer began to be insensible to the remedies applied, and the gangrene seized all of the neighboring parts. Famous physicians were brought from all quarters, but no human had any means of success. His bowels came out, his whole seat putrefied, and worms were generated in his body, and the stench was so foul as to pervade the entire whole city, and no wonder... For at that time, his passage from his bladder to his bowels were devoured by worms and became indiscriminate. Oh. And his body, with intolerable anguish, was dissolved into one mass of corruption. Whoa. So As his want to happen. Parts. Uh-huh. Yes. It all started in his secret parts. Yes, yes. And this okay. took over place over the course of about a year, which sounds absolutely horrible as he slowly Seriously? dissolved. Yes. Well, that's the stories. Okay. And towards the end, he made an edict legalizing Christianity. But specifically, a requirement of that was that the Christians should ask their gods to pray for his welfare. So, are we sure that he did that, or was it actually a worm that was now acting as mm. if it were Like, had he become more worm than man at that point? Mm. You know, that kind of ties into something I wanted to say about Helicephalus Mephisto. Oh, the hell worm? The hell worm. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Just a brief aside, this is a little, like, half a millimeter long worm that was found two miles below the surface of the Earth. Uh, it's called like the Lord of Hell worm, and mm-hmm. I don't think it deserves that because it's like a little half millimeter nematode. But maybe he's wearing a tiny little little like <laughs> cloak and little. He, he does have horns. Brown. He has like pointy oh, horns and things like that. Cute. So there's not a lot to say about him. It's a tiny worm. It lives under the ground in climates that are hotter than any nematode can normally survive, mm-hmm. which is the not very frightening temperature of 37 degrees Celsius. Mm. Right. I had to look that one up to see what it was in Fahrenheit. It's 98.6 degrees. So it's no tardigrade, right? Like the little dude who can live in the water bear space. But they are (laughs) evolving themselves to inhabit human hosts. 
Okay. Oh, uh, I see your point. So, yes. like, the, the perfect host is a human body. Yes. Uh, yes. 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 Okay. Hmm. Ooh, this reminds me of, this is kind of an aside, but the parasites that uh, they get into a certain kind of fish, and eventually they eat that fish's tongue, and then place themselves as that tongue. Oh, weird. Like, in the fish's mouth. So, like, if they you look inside that fish's mouth, there's, like, little eyes, because the parasite has become the tongue. And it goes... It's true. It's it's pretty cool and terrible. Let me add this to the things I'm not going to Google later. Oh, I'm gonna. It's. I'm gonna. I'll send you pictures because it is fascinating. Right click block. The other. I don't know. Some people would say this is a real worm, but the Mongolian death worm in the Gobi Desert. It looks quite alarming. It really does. It's sort of akin to the worm in Dune. Right. That supposedly spits poison, can eat camels, and. But lots of people have claimed to see it, but nobody has ever really survived. Ah, yeah. One so, of those. Um, there are a lot of good kind of little videos about it online, people going in search of it and whatnot. Then the year 300-ish Apocalypse of Paul was very influential. This is an apocalyptic writing, so end of the world, the bad guys get there sort of things. And I and I again observed there were men and women with hands and with their hands cut and their feet placed naked in a place of ice and snow, and worms devoured them. But seeing them, I lamented and said, "Sir, who are these?" And he said to me, "These are they who harmed orphans and widows and the poor, and did not hope in the Lord, which caused they unceasingly pay the proper penalties." It's a, a lot of gnashing of teeth, uh, worms that are one cubit long and have two heads. Yeah, Paul, different Paul, okay. not that Paul. Oh, not Paul. Paul Saul of Tarsus? Tarsus. Yeah, not not that Paul. Oh. Moreover, his hands were stretched out and bloody, and worms proceeded from his mouth and nostrils. He was groaning and weeping and crying. He said, have pity on me. Who are these people? They're the ones that committed fornication and, and did not do right in the sight of God. Serves them right. I know. Kind of going back to Mark and Isaiah. Yeah. One thing, like, I kind of went into this thinking, oh, yeah, worms. And... The whole, I guess, Middle Ages worm equals dragon thing, right? I did a lot of looking, a lot of researching, and I did the whole, you know, Bible gateway, give me 800 different versions. No, it's it's all literally just worm. It's not worm equals dragon. It's worm is maggot. Mm-hmm. And everyone start, seems to agree. It starts it, out there for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it evolves into dragons very quickly. Oh, but later. Yeah. 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 Because the whole thing about the worm that doesn't die is all about Jesus is talking about the worms that eat garbage. Right. And how, you know, the sort of unceasing torture of fire and worms. Well, there's upon. there's some conjecture on that. But uh-huh. I kind of focused on a lot of, again, th- these translations, it's the worm that does not die. It's not the worm that never dies, mm-hmm. which is an incorrect translation, right? And this is this has come up in some very serious theological back and forth between very serious men with funny hats. Yeah. The worm is capable of death. It just doesn't, right? Because there's always going to be sinners. Like, there's always be food right. for that yeah. worm. Right. Yeah. And it confused me. It's like, if you have a corpse, there's lots of worms, right? What if one or two of them die? There's always more worms. What is mm-hmm. so significant about the worm that doesn't die? as opposed to the worm that never dies? Short answer, I, I don't it, know. I, yeah, I think it all has to do with just the talking about the unrepentant sinners, like the worm is going to survive 
as long as you are unrepentant. Mm. The minute you repent, that's when the worm dies. Well, this bit of text here, a lot of learned men have spent a lot of ink arguing over it, because on the one hand, it's one of the few passages in the Bible that suggests eternal torment in hell. On the other hand, it's specifically about worms eating corpses who are already dead, and therefore it is not about sinners. Yeah, 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 I was going to say, like, this could go both ways in which there is no eternal torment, or there is. Yeah, and I think one of the real terrors here is not so much worms eating you forever, it's that you weren't buried very well. And (laughs) we know how big a deal that is. Mm. Oh, yeah, and I will, yeah, there's, there's a lot to say about that. One good resource I found was afterlife.co.nz, which I appreciate just for the fact that somewhere in New Zealand, somebody is doing great research into hellworms. So, thank Mm -hmm. you, sir. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was was doing Google searches off of (laughs) (laughs) hell-on-line.com. No, I'm I'm glad you got that same argument, too, because I was going to bring that in. It's like, a lot of people are like, look... Annihilationism is a great thing because the worm is eating the corpses. Corpses don't feel pain. Yeah. They am dead. Yeah. And either way, I mean, you could use it to argue either one, I think, with nice symmetry. But it's just because the worm eats you and lives forever doesn't mean that you suffer forever. It just means that you're eaten. If a soap bubble bursts in a fire, that soap bubble is gone. (laughs) It's not lasting as long as the fire does. Hmm. Okay. Conditional annihilationism. Okay. It, it, it depends who yells the loudest. That's true. But I think ultimately this podcast is about milking hell for entertainment value. So mm-hmm. I think we need to assume that sinners spend eternity burning and freezing simultaneously while being eaten by worms that do not burn or freeze, but do swim through the fire like fish, even though the sinners are packed like sardines in a tin can and a neutron star, so there's no room for the worms anyway. But if they're embarrassing you, God will find a way to make this happen. The mocking worms. Yes, the worst the mo- of the mocking worms. Oh, you! <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> I will. I will stop. Did you? This- did you, how long did it take you to come up with that that brief monologue? It was impressive. Thank you. How many times did you practice it before we got here? Uh, I did have it written down. Uh, oh, mm. cheater! Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> is it time to talk about Jesus Worm? We can talk about Jesus Worm. We can talk about Jesus Worm. Okay. Did you say worm or worms? Jesus Worm. Like okay, just the, the one. Just the worm. It's worm a of wonder, worm of light. <laughs> worm with something beauty bright. We should stop this. Is it too late to say <laughs> bah humbug? Yes. <laughs> Guide us with your wormy light. So in Psalm 22.6, there's a moment where allegedly the Messiah, otherwise known as Jesus. The Christ or the Messiah? Jesus, the Christ, who is the Messiah. I know that this was different back Uh, uh, when we were talking uh, about the Antichrist. uh. So that guy. So what did did the Messiah (laughs) say? So the Messiah said, but I am a worm and no man. Oh. Are you surprised by this? Actually, yes, a little bit. So why would the Messiah later call Jesus, refer to himself as a worm? But there's another important verse to this that often doesn't get represented in in the literature. Uh Uh-huh. And that verse is, 
Good morning. How are you? I'm Dr. Worm. I'm interested in things. I'm not a real doctor, but I am a real worm. <laughs> what? What? This is this is one of the apocryphal texts, isn't it? <laughs> this is one of the apocryphal texts mm. called Dr. Worm by They Might Be Giants. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's basically canon. It is canon. That, that's intertestamental literature then. I'm sorry I'm not up with it. <laughs> <laughs> they, you don't read any from, of the commentaries. It's from, the, from the book of They Might Be Nephilim. <laughs> so, one of the, um, there's a lot of controversy about what this might mean, but one of the sources that I landed on that seemed uh, to have a, a very clear, albeit super um, long and involved explanation that involved a lot of natural history. The thought is here is that. There And there's some linguistic stuff in here as well, but I won't go into that. I will let Damon maybe explore that later. But a worm that was well known at this time is the crimson worm. This worm shows up other places in the Bible because it was, you know, a very prominent worm. Um, oh. Oh. It's like, sorry. It's like cochineal. It is exactly because the, the dye, like the crushed, the, the worm in certain life stages, gives off a red dye. And so that was used for ropes. It also had a kind of particularly Charlotte's Web, a story of birthing young. And so the, 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 the life cycle of the crimson worm is that the, the mommy worm attaches when she's ready to lay her egg, she attaches herself, and this is only once in her life, she climbs up a tree or fence and attaches herself to it. So her body is attached and the hard crimson shell forms and it is, uh, it just locks her into the wood. So if you, the only way to remove it is to tear it off and kill the worm. So she lays her eggs under her body, under the shell. And when the larvae hatch, they remain under that shell so they can feed on the living body of the mother worm for three days. So after three days, the worm dies and her body excretes a crimson or scarlet dye that stains the wood to which she is attached. And also it stains her baby worms. So they stay crimson colored for their entire lives. So that's why they're called crimson worms. This just screams, allegorize me now. Yes, yes, it does, doesn't it? So on day four, the tail of the mother worm pulls up into her head, forming a heart-shaped body. And of course it does. Of course. of course it does. That turns into a snow white wax. It looks like a patch of wool on the tree or fence. And then it falls off looking like snow. So, okay, students, what do you think this is an allegory for? Sex. The communist revolution. Damn it. Yes. The communist revolution. And, <laughs> and sex. And the crucifixion. Commie sex. The and crucifixion. And yes. salvation. Yes, 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 yes. I was pretty sure that when you said, Jesus said, I am a worm, you were going to say something about like symbiotic life forms, like the trill from Star Trek, and he was like inhabiting this body temporarily. No, and he doesn't actually crawl inside fish bodies and become their tongues either. No! Darg! I'm just, I'm going to say that as many times as possible, and I'm going to send you pictures. Just like random texts. Fish tongue texts. A couple of things. I'm glad you don't have my phone number. Yet. Oh, I do, don't I? Nope. What is it? It's a uh, four. <laughs> I was an early adopter. The mayor is six. Jacobs. Okay. I'll ask Jacob. So, a couple of things. You know, I love my multiple translations. Again, yep, all yep, of yep, these yep, are yep. worm. King James, mm-hmm. NSV, ESV, NISV, NASB, blah, 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 blah. The Amplified is mm-hmm. 
super useful because it's more thought for thought than word for word. It does uh, uh, parentheticals. So it's like, but I am, open bracket, treated as a closed bracket, worm, insignificant and powerless, end bracket, and not a man. I am the scorn of men. So it's, I am treated as a worm who is insignificant and powerless and not respected as an equal member of society. And you're like, oh, now that's a very broad, like somebody said, this is probably what they meant, rather than saying this is the the word for word. I really like that. It's like, part of that is this psalm kind of makes more sense is you guys are treating me like a worm, which is very appropriate to apply from the Messiah to Jesus, right? He he lived a hard yeah. life. Yeah. And he also, I mean, the whole, I don't think that, I think the two explanations can work together because yeah. he's a sacrificial figure, much like the, mm-hmm. you know, the lowly mother worm, the lowly crimson worm mother sacrificing herself for the betterment of her Absolutely. survival of her. Do you, do you know who else babies? was a worm crushed under the foot of society? Satan. Hitler. Satan. Yep. Oh. Satan. Yes. I have a reading from St. Hildegard of Bingen, if you don't mind. Oh, please. It's Hildy Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Lying on its back before that crowd of people dressed in white as if across a road was a monster who looked like a worm, amazingly huge and long. It provoked a feeling of horror and fury beyond words. Now that worm was black and covered with bristles, full of open sores and abscesses. Its body was displaying five parts from the head down to the abdomen to its feet, like stripes. One was green, one was white, one was red, one was yellow, and one was black. They were full of deadly poison. Even so, the monster's head had been so powerfully crushed that the left side of his jawbone was dislocated. Worms have jaws. Its eyes were bloody outside and fiery inside. It had the nose and mouth of a viper, the hands of a man, and the feet of a viper. What? Has she ever seen a viper? I think we should pause here for a moment and (laughs) ask questions about this. A chain was riveted around the neck of the worm, binding its hands and feet as well, so that it securely fastened to a rock in the abyss. In this way, the monster was restrained, so it could not move around as its wicked will wished. Tongues of fire issued from its mouth, dividing four ways. The flame that issued deep into the abyss inflicted various agonies on those who had worshipped Satan instead of God, without having been washed by the font of baptism or knowing the light of truth and faith. I saw piercing arrows come whistling loudly from its mouth. Black smoke (laughs) breathed from its breath. Scalding liquid poured up from its loins. A what? hot, scalding liquid boiled up from its loins. Do worms have loins? Um, Totes. Well, <laughs> a hot whirlwind blew out of its navel, and the filth of frogs poured out of its bowels. Wow. The assault of all these foul discharges terrified people, and the hideous stench that came out of the monster infected many people with its own perversion. Then behold, there came a host of souls gleaming brightly. They stomped on the worm and tortured it severely, but they could not be harmed by its flames or its poison. Amen. <laughs> so it's almost like some kind of crazy firework display that she misread as a Satan worm and people stomping out the fire. Okay, so stripes. So the poise, the stripes were poison. Uh, no, it was just had five colors. That's a that's okay. a motif that she picks up earlier, I think, as well. Okay. Okay. Can I tell you? Um, as I was reading about Jesus worm, before you derail it from the Jesus train. Mm-hmm. I do want to say I was in the in the see also section. I appreciated this one. Um, it also linked back to Isaiah, the fifth gospel with the anime girls, one of who is a clone. Uh, Isaiah forty one fourteen. Do not fear, O worm of Jacob, 
O few men of Israel, I will help you, declares the all caps, Lord, your Redeemer, is the Holy One of Israel. I have my own worm. But of course you do. Did you know? No. And it, it shouldn't be afraid, O worm of Jacob. <laughs> I would be afraid because every time I have a small animal and my carrot dies. Oh, we talked about our, yeah, the animal, anim- forgetting you had an animal that you needed to feed dreams. Yeah, it's not a dream. <laughs> oh, the new new living translation is even better. Okay. Though you are a lowly worm, oh Jacob, don't hey. be afraid. Oh. <laughs> Fair, I say. E- ES- ESV. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. <laughs> okay, so we have an idea for a plushie. <laughs> it's a worm with the head of Jacob and the hands of a man. And the feet of a viper. And the feet of a viper. <laughs> so I, I feel like for those that aren't like totally with it on their Old Testament exegesis, Jacob is used pretty much synonymously with the tribe of Israel. The more you know. Da, 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 da. So my my slight derailment from Jesus Worm is that this sent me uh, looking at other biblical meanings of worms and which also took me to dream interpretation of worms. Oh, dream and worms. There's a, dream worms. Dream worms. Why is that not the name of our band? Dream worms. Dream worms. Dream worms. We could have some umlauts. Ooh. Verm. Dream verm. Um, dream verm. Traum verm. Traum verm. Yes. Traum verm. Yeah, that's their traum verm. Um, there, there are guides to biblical interpretation of worms in your dreams. You, you with me? Okay. With you. So, thinking about the biblical meaning of worms in dreams. So, essentially, like, spoiler alert, worms equal guilt in your dreams. And they, they also equal, like, the suffering in the afterlife that is a result of guilt. So, the best part of this, though, <laughs> is one of the sites I found which is called alodreams.com spirituality. There are a series of questions when you're, when you're faced with a worm in your dream and you're trying to interpret it and you're thinking about the physicality of the worm, uh, here are some questions you might ask yourself to help you interpret this. How many worms were there? How oh, long were they? One How cubit. thick were they? Um, yes. Okay. What were they doing? The worm. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's three, three giggle snorts. Or no, the worm is the... Yeah. Okay. Nobody could see me doing that, but it was it was amazing. I was impressed. What was, thank you. Thank you. What was the place where they were seen? In my dream. Were they moving? No. Yes. At, at what speed? Mach five. <laughs> <laughs> Between sluggish and snail. Oh, okay. How did they look? Scary, calm, etc. They looked vaguely so, guilty. I think they looked vaguely etc. <laughs> what was the proximity between you and them? This is a lot of thought for worms. This is a lot of thought for dreams. Like normally Finally. It's, it's my teeth are falling out, but I know what this means. But when you're encountering a scary worm that is, you know... <sighs> But it is important to distinguish whether your worm is Satan or Jesus. Mm, and I think mm, all of mm. these questions help you. Yeah, you don't want to get those mixed up. No, no, because there's a very clear distinction. And then there's anything else you can recall about the worms. 
Could you recognize the worm in a lineup, for example? You feed this into the Cray supercomputer and... <laughs> Is there a helpful so think- chart to, to like help you define this, this worm or... No, no. It's mm-hmm. just a nope. choose-your-own-worm venture? Yep. Mm-hmm. Provide a lot but of detail. I, I suspect they won't. If your dream worm is more than two inches, turn to page 297. If less, Maybe we could- turn to page 146. <laughs> well, we could create an app, like, along with our Where Are They in Hell app. Hmm. We could have the What Does Your Worm Mean app. For those of you following along at home, if you've never yet had a dream about worms, and you start having dreams about worms after listening to this specific episode... Interrogate them mightily. <laughs> go ahead and tweet us what it was about. How long yeah, they were. Maybe How we thick could, was your we worm? Could, we could do your interpretation for you. Yeah, definitely. Tweet us at yeah. the dispatchist. You Hashtag Traumfirm. Traumfirm. You, you could be in a hell specifically devoted to worms. Oh, oh, do we have one of those? We do. This is a Hindu hell. It's Creamy Bojanam. I maybe have mispronounced that. He definitely mispronounced that. <laughs> Which translates into food for worms. Oh. So this is a hell, a hell reserved for people who waste food, or are not generous to those who need food, or don't honor guests, or use people for personal gain. Okay. I was going to accuse you of all of those, but the last one doesn't fit. No, I'm not gaining anything. So, so it's kind of a dollar store of hell. Yeah, really, really. Uh, but so he does creamy, abuse leftovers. I do. So in Creamy Pogenum, people are thrown into pits filled with worms, insects, and snakes, and they are eaten by the worms, and they are given new bodies, which are then, again, eaten by the worms. Repeat hmm. until golden brown or internal temperature of 350. Wow. So what do, the, do they – is there a series to the new bodies, or is it just like a random body that you suddenly – like, do you – Go up a chain or down a chain? Usually in other similar hells, the body is simply reconstituted from parts. Okay. So it's the same body, I assume. Although if you had a really good body, they might like, you know, take you down a few levels. What do the insects and snakes do? Sounds like the worms get all the action. Why are you asking me these questions? How long are the worms? How wide are the worms? (laughs) Well, this... What was the worm doing? (laughs) Eating sinners. (laughs) How close were you to the worm? Surrounded on all sides. How did the worm make you feel? They didn't ask that. Devoured. Yeah, I guess the whole like, is it a scary worm? Is it a calm worm? I feel like this specifically needs to be addressed by Chekhov's snakes and insects, right? If you Mm -hmm. write a book and you mention snakes and insects on the wall, it better be applicable to the plot. Otherwise, don't write about snakes and insects. Is this like the gun? Yeah, Chekhov's gun. Ah, 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 mm-hmm. you got my joke mm-hmm. this time. See? Okay, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah, I'm getting there. Teach a Vic to fish and all that. So, two examples of hellish torments for children. Specifically mm-hmm. hellish... Those. Yes, specifically hellish torments for children involving worms. Wait. Hellish torments that involve worms for children. I, I'm lost. I can't parse this anymore. I'm going to start with John Furness, The Side of Hell who we have referred to a great many times, even today. Let's do it in the children's narrator voice. Please, not the worm (laughs) voice, please. Okay, everybody, gather round. Just cross applesauce. And isn't John Furness the best name for a hellfire priest? Yeah, it's a little on the nose. It is, it is. So gather round Father Furness. St. Basil says that in hell there will be worms without number, eating the flesh, and their bites will be unbearable. St. Teresa says she found the entrance to hell filled with these venomous insects. If you cannot bear the sight of ugly vermin and creeping things upon the earth, 
Will you be content with the sight of the venomous things in hell, which are a million times worse? The bite or the pricking of one insect on the earth sometimes keeps you awake and torments you for hours. How will you feel in hell when millions of them make their dwelling place in your mouth or your ears (laughs) and your eyes? And they creep all over you and sting you with their deadly stings through all eternity? You will not then be able to help yourself or send them away because you cannot stir hand or foot. That was terrifying. Amazing. I love you, Reverend Furness. <laughs> I wish he'd done more. He's done a lot more, but only about 38 pages devoted to children's experiences and scaring the hell out of them. So did you say the last line? You will not then be able to help yourself or send them away because you cannot stir hand or foot. The one that I have, the last line, is the one that I found the most. Oh, well, there's a chapter break because the next chapter is on fright, and I didn't finish it. So the next line is. One of the most painful things in the world is to be much frightened. Yeah. He then talks about fear. There there are nine tortures in hell. This is established in the Elucidarium, which is a 1050 manual for poor priests. The nine tortures of hell are fire, so fierce that if the whole ocean flowed into it, it would not be extinguished. Cold, intense enough to burn the fiery mountain into ice. That makes sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. The immortal worm, uh, terrible to see in here, who lives like fish in the water in the flames of hell. Number four, the intolerable stench. Number five, demons with whips and hammers. Sixth, darkness, as said in Job, to a land of utter darkness, of deep shadow and disorder, where even the light is like darkness and the everlasting horror dwells. Number seven, the shame of having your sins exposed. Oh, Um, no. I know, right? (laughs) Number eight, the sight of the demons and monsters in the fire and the screaming of the sinners. Number nine, the fiery chains that bind sinners together. Around a thousand, worms were a very physical thing. They really, they were going to eat you. But I guess they decided it was kind of redundant to be frozen and burning and have worms. So by 1200... It was kind of suggested by the upper-up priests that the worms are really like the worms of conscience. Oh. Yeah. So Furnace is using the Elucidarium's list of nine tortures as a frame for his children's stories, where it moves from worms to, I guess, fear and shame and fright later on. So that's probably where he's, where he's going. Okay. Okay. It's a lot for a kid. I know. I know. Well, you read it to them a little every day, and then they hate you and have traumas. So you kind of build up their tolerance yeah. for this terrible thing. And when they're like in middle school, you can read The Vision of Bosco to them. Ooh, uh, okay. The, the writing mm-hmm. of St. John Bosco. He was in the same kind of period, about 1850 or so. Uh, 1868, he wrote The Vision of Hell. This was written for the boys under his care. And a lot of it is about youths burning in hell. And so he'd read them to the kids and say, and some of these might be you. You never know. In this lower cavern, I again saw those oratory boys who had fallen to the fiery furnace. Some are listening to me right now. Others are former pupils or even strangers to me. I drew closer to them and noticed they were all covered in worms and vermin that gnawed at their vitals. Hearts, eyes, hands, legs, and entire bodies so ferociously as to defy description. Helpless and motionless, they were a prey to every kind of torment. Hoping I might be able to speak to them or hear something from them, I drew even closer, but no one spoke to me or looked at me. I asked my guide why, and he explained that the damned are totally deprived of freedom each must fully endure his own punishment with absolutely no reprieve whatsoever. So this is very Dante and Virgil-esque. It kind of is, yeah. There's elements of that. And this is a Catholic writer in like 1850 or so, so he may have been heavily informed by, by Bosco, by Virgil, by so Dante. explain to me oratory boys. I think like rhetoric boys, speech boys. 
sense. <laughs> well, the, the entire vision of Bosco, he like turns his head to the class and says, you there on the third row. Uh, so it's kind of that. So I, I'm imagining the, now I can't remember his name, uh, the guy who did the unnameable Italian song in the classroom. Right. Kind of doing his little dance oh. and singing a song. Some pelvic I mean, thrusting to these kids who are all There's being de- eaten. Definitely similarities. Yeah, his, yeah. His his oratory boys. His oratory boys. That it also, are, also sounds like a good Neil Gaiman story. The oratory boys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh-huh. There's also a Warren Zevon song um, <laughs> called "She's Gone with the Hula Hula Boys," and all I could think about is you know he's gone with the oratory boys. <laughs> you don't care about me. Thinking about things eaten by worms, specifically oratory boys, and actually this is a this is a moment for Jamin because it is a linguistic moment. Oh no! See if he what he has to say about this. But um, some of the things that I read said that there is an argument that the word cadaver comes from the phrase "caro data vermibus," meaning meat for the worms. Okay. Is that true? Have you heard of this? That sounds too convenient. What's the word for it's too convenient? It must be wrong. Folk etymology. I, I was going to say it actually sounds pretty good because it's it's a stretch that doesn't tell an immediate story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give me the Latin one more time. Um, from Latin to fall, cadere, according to the, according to the OED... From Sanskrit, to fall down, Latin, a chance occasion or opportunity or mishap, a falling. To fall, to sink, to fall, to become low. Caro, to fall, yeah. And yeah. so I had caro, data, vermibus. Which, again, folk etymology, the rule is whenever it tells a good story, it's probably false. But I was with you on that one. Well, but I feel like, okay. So we've got the, the etymology as, as cognate with caro, I fall. I would say having multiple words is too much, but it's definitely cognate with I fall or, you know, the fallen. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, so, it's too good to be true. There is some discussion about the intersection of like the, uh, the fallen or something about falling plus the, the you know, food for worms. Mm-hmm. Like those mm-hmm. two things also kind of intersect. I like so it. It's hard to parse them apart, but also I think we can accept that in, you know, folk etymology, like whatever is the good story, like what, a, like, yeah, good. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's cute. I got that from a book that I want to read called After We Die, The Life and Times of the Human Cadaver by um, Norman L. Canto. They made that into so. a movie. It was Weekend at Bernie's. for those of you following along at home check the show notes see if we've got this up in time it is caro data wormus flesh given to worms typed out because none of you can understand what we're saying oh yeah i can't even understand what i'm saying so what was weekend at bernie's part two i didn't understand that one either after three days he was resurrected from the dead I don't know. <laughs> it seems unlikely. It's called but the New Testament. Let's not in the New Testament of Bernie. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to be talking about corpses, if you couldn't figure that out. But so have you guys heard of transy or cadaver tombs? No. What? This is very exciting. I did not know about these either, but now I am kind of obsessed. Remodeling your so- house. <laughs> 
Oh, oh, you don't know the half of it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just just you wait. So, um, so a transy is a form of sculpture for a, a grave or a tomb that uh, shows the rotting body. So instead ah. of the um, more uh, kind of traditional, what is it called? A, there's, a, there's a word for it. Effigy? No, it starts with a G. Defigy. A gassant. A gassant. So instead of the usual gassant, which is the, the recumbent mm-hmm. body that is shown in the prime of its life, age 33, same age as when Jesus died, this shows the body decomposed. And in many cases, being eaten by worms and vermin. Oh, how delightful. Yes. So this was really popular from about like mid 13th, mid mid 14th century to the to the 16th century. Uh, quick and, favor. Oh, uh, can you spell that word? Uh, Trancy, T-R-A-N-S-I. Let so, me link that to you. Yeah, oh, they're hideous. So, so there's some there's some key examples of this. It's thought that these are, you know, memento moris reminding you of that the body will is temporary and that we will all pass um, into the afterlife and our bodies will not matter dust to dust. And it's supposed to it's yeah, and it's supposed to inspire a feeling of penitence and a desire to get right with God. So again, this this kind of was the rage for a couple of centuries through most of the 15th century in France, Italy, and the UK, and it started to run out of steam right in the middle of the next century. So the <laughs> the example of this that sent me down this wormhole, so to speak, is so the hamsterly brass. Yes, the hamsterly brass. So this was commissioned by Ralph Hamsterly who died in 1518, and he commissioned five brass plaques in his own honor, and leaving the death date blank. So the the Hamsterly brass is um, the only one that's left, and it's embedded in the floor under the carpet near the sanctuary of St. Da- Andrew's Church in Oddington, Oxfordshire, and you can go visit it to this day. But this one is, like, those brass plaques were pretty common in the day, but this one is unique in its delightfully macabre presentation. It depicts a shroud-wrapped corpse of Mr. Hamsterly, and it's riddled with worms weaving through his skeletal eye sockets and bursting forth from his chest. Like, yeah. the worm bursting is gleeful AF. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. like he's this party noisemaker. Somebody's just blown on his feet, and all the worms are kind of coming out like... Poof! That's majestic. It's pretty. <laughs> yeah, look at them all. Majestic. Like, it is insane. So, it's pretty popular. Pilgrims have gone to visit it. And um, T.E. Lawrence of, uh, you know, Lawrence of Arabia fame had a rubbing of the Hamsterly brass in his childhood bedroom. I would, the Atlas Obscura uh, titles this as Rare and Wonderfully Wormy Cadaver Art Captured in Brass yep. for Centuries. Uh-huh. Isn't that great? I want to go take it some is. paper and and like my green crayon and get a copy of this. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they'll let you do rubbings anymore, but you know. So is it still under the carpet? That's a very good question. Cuz the picture They show the carpet. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if you have to ask to see it. They pull the carpet back. <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Okay, here we go." What does the word box say? I have no idea. Why can't I embiggen this? 
I think we'll have to find a, a better version of it so that you can figure out what it says. Vermabasik donor et sic unstender conner quid sica ik boner, boner omnis omner. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that explains it. Here I am, given to the worms, and thus I try to show that I am laid aside here, so all honor is also laid aside. Oh, so that's in the Atlas Obscura yeah, 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 article? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't actually. I was just looking at the pictures. You got so excited. I got so excited by the, the, chest bursting. the whole idea of it that I just ignored the whole translation aspect yeah, of it. Yeah. But yeah, so that is one of the notable examples. Another one is the Trancy of René de Chalon, and that is in uh, the Church of St. Etienne Le Vieux in Bar-le-Duc, France. He was the Prince of Orange. So he died when he was 25. And rather than memorialize him in the, you know, standard kind of manly hero form, either he or his wife or potentially both, uh, requested that he be shown as a life-size skeleton with strips of dried skin flapping over a hollow carcass. Flapping. And so, at, <laughs> lapping. And if you look at it, yeah. flapping, not lapping, and not slapping. <laughs> at one point, okay, so one of his hands clutches the empty his empty rib cage, but the other hand actually had his desiccated heart. Oh. He was holding out his own heart, and eventually, it's not there anymore. It be- they believe that it was stolen during the French Revolution. Yeah. So that is that that exists. That's kind of the peak transier cadaver tomb experience. And I think once we can actually go, we should go visit that. Yes. Um, but yes, and sometimes these don't necessarily have like the rotting corpse, but they will have skeletons. And <laughs> one of the these also weren't cheap, like you had to be wealthy to have one of these made because of the artistry involved. If you're really rich, you had a double-decker one. Can you guess what that depicted? Red buses. <laughs> I guess it was like before and after, like your youthful yes. self and yeah, okay. Yep, so up top, you would have the gassant, the kind of recumbent you and prime of life figure and then underneath you would have the uh, rotting corpse mm. or just your skeletal corpse wrapped in a shroud and you know there are lots of examples of just kind of the more skeletal ones and lots of examples of ones being eaten by worms and frogs and vermin so some, <laughs> some other notable just weird examples uh, boingboing.net had the Le Homme au Molans, man eaten by worms. This is what it's known by. A 16th century cadaver monument that shows, uh, as you may imagine, a dude being eaten by worms. Gasp. And that's in Belgium. And then there is the Francois de la Sar, uh, which he died in 1363, and which is kind of the beginning of the whole trend. He can be found in the chapel of Saint Antoine at La Sarraz, uh, Switzerland, Bald, Switzerland. His is, you have to look it up, because his effigy is eternally having his face eaten by frogs, while snakes, frogs, worms, and other things eat his body. I wonder if there was some legitimate fear of being eaten by frogs. Because this seems to come up a lot. Frogs show up a lot. And I can't really connect it to anything, because like... Frogs don't eat people? Not generally, no. Not anymore, anyway. But I have a theory. Dire frogs. It must be rabbits. Now, my theory, and this connects to an explanation for why these things were popular at this time. So there are several theories about this, but they all kind of boil down to an intersection of trauma, pre-epidemiological culture, and ideas of penitence. So at the center of all this is the Black Death. 
I'll buy that. Okay. I mean, that so, is the Memento Mori sort of yep, in its, yep, in its yep, yep, heart. Yep. Uh-huh. So you have this time where death is so prevalent and everybody's kind of going the, through these psychological aftershocks of this just, you know, intense plague. And so the thought is that they, the medieval people I dealt with this, dealt with that trauma by kind of focusing on this memento mori hmm. art. Were and you, were you able to yeah. go to the wonderful exhibit at the Blanton Museum in Austin about the Dance of the Dead? We went together. That's right, we did. I. Oh, that sounds uh-huh. that sounds just about right. Yeah, I was thinking like, about that. Death mm-hmm. is not only your constant companion, but it's your dance partner. I mean, and that's you know, nice. It's great. So there's some debate amongst historians about whether this was like morbid or actually it's a more healthy expression of trauma and dealing with death. It's like anti-morbid almost. It's Mm -hmm. celebrating it so you don't have to fret about it. Right. And just recognizing that, okay, this is a part of life. Yeah. You know, people die and death will always be with us. So yeah, the encounters between the living and dead became more popular from the early 1300s. So we talked about the dance macabre. And there's other art that shows worm-eaten cadavers, and, you know, they are both a kind of warning to the living that death will come for them, but also, like, death as a companion. And it's kind of full circle, because before it was supernaturalized, the worm mm -hmm. was decay. It was was the state of being rotting in the grave. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And another interesting part of this that is also Black Death-related is that People saw a lot of dead bodies, and they saw a lot of diseased bodies. And this goes back to your story about the dude who became more worm than man. They didn't quite understand where the worms came from. They just knew there were a lot of worms (laughs) that showed up at a certain time after somebody died. And so they believed in spontaneous generation so that the worms actually were probably inside the body all along. Mm -hmm. And when the body died, the worms emerged so there wasn't a sense of like, oh, this worms come to the dead body. It's like worms emerge from a dead body. Right. And potentially, this is my theory that maybe the frogs come into it because they're there to eat the worms. Oh. Which oh. looks like some a frog eating a body. Wasn't also, frogs was one of the, the plagues, right? The Mos- Moses plagues? Oh, true. That's a really good point, too. So frogs, because also snakes don't eat people. So maybe that's related as well. Plaguey, hmm. plaguey yes. things. Why were frogs a plague? They're very loud. I, they also died and like the stench was really horrible. And they kind of make that slapping sound. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. They kind of make that sad little like. Wah, wah, <laughs> so know? both annoying and they smell bad when they're dead. Yeah. So talking about disease also and the kind of spontaneous generation idea of worms actually being inside of the body. This could, like this theory of disease as being worm based <laughs> carried on into even to, into the 17th century with as somebody that I wish he, he doesn't quite fit in our podcast, but maybe in a future podcast, Athenaeus Kircher, who had the theory of the universal universal sperm, which was uh, that the life force exists as these little seeds <laughs> that animate everything. <laughs> So worms, he did this experiment where he cut up a snake and buried it. And when he dug up the snake and saw that each little part had all of these tiny worms coming out of it, he thought, oh, the snake has birthed worms. It's, it's fractal. Ba- birthed baby, right. It's birthed baby snakes because of this universal sperm idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, logical. 
Yeah, totally. So just one more disease and worm related thing. Um, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, a Taoist physiological belief that demonic creatures live inside of the human body. And this belief is called the three corpses or the three worms. Oh. Mm -hmm. And so these supernatural parasites allegedly enter the person at birth and reside at three energy centers, respectively located within head, chest and abdomen. And so when the human host dies, they're freed from the body and become malevolent ghosts. So we've gone full circle again. So we have worms, demons, ghosts and i think that's enough for me for now but wasn't that fun wasn't that fun it was wonderful i've enjoyed this Mm -hmm. so much yeah and you know now you'll never stop looking at cadaver tombs um i might i might just stop actually quite (laughs) suddenly (laughs) this Taoist belief of the three worms inside of you there's there's kind of that american first people's belief right and Mm -hmm. we've talked about this before in prior episodes uh, inside of you are two wolves. One is eating shredded cheese and pajama pants, and the other has no idea what day it is. Right. <laughs> well, this one also, the 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 three corpses slash worms, they work to harm their host's health and fate by creating sickness, inviting other disease-causing agents into the body, and reporting their host's transgressions to their gods. Ooh. So you try to get them out of, well... There's kind of a battle of like, do you try to get them out of your body? Because maybe they'll go and tell about your transgressions. Do oh, you try gosh. to kill them? But the methods used to try to kill them ends up killing you. And so you see where this is going. So I feel like we're kind of in the final stretch of this. So I need to ask an important question for you, Victoria, because I know this has been weighing heavily on you. Um, mm-hmm. Earworms. What, <laughs> what song would you use for the Hell of Worms? Oh, so um, it doesn't have to be worm-related, does it? No, but you've been talking a lot about this, so I just wanted to give you a chance yes. to talk about. So the one that I suggest is The Worms by The Pogues. The worms crawl in, oh. the worms crawl out. I didn't the know The Pogues covered that uh-huh. one. Yep, 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 yep. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What is the history of that song? I have to look this up. Yeah, Mezcal. but uh, I can't stop thinking about it. And I I think I could actually figure that one out on the accordion because I think it's ooh, only two notes. Ooh. So maybe if we won't get sued, I'll see if I can figure out a way to play a verse of it. The earliest version of this verse is found in a poem by the English writer Matthew Lewis in his 1796 gothic novel, The Monk. The worms oh. they crept in and the worms they crept out and sported his eyes and his temples about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This goes way back. It does. I'd say the Pogues version is pretty evocative. I think it gets at the gestalt of an earworm and the horror of worms. I would also strongly suggest the Mighty Boosh Eels song, <laughs> even though that's not about worms. No, not at all. But it's still very catchy. Totally irrelevant. Eels of its eye, Jamin, do you want to take this home at some point? <laughs> I'm already home. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, how should I end this one? We don't want to talk about it's a small it's a small world. After um, all. <laughs> we could save that. We'll save that for another time. All right. Maybe I could have I could put that in the show notes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time before Victoria makes any more worm puns. I think we should wrap <laughs> this one up here. Uh, thanks for following along at home. Thanks for subscribing. It's free. It really helps us out a lot. I uh, appreciate you telling your friends about us. Appreciate you hitting like. 
Feel free to tweet us at The Dispatchist. We have a Discord channel. It's on our website, which is dispatch.ist. Join us. Join in the fun. We're still talking up on the mixtape Discord. We're still editing the mixtape. We're still editing the (laughs) mixtape. By the time you hear this, the mixtape should be published. (laughs) Check the show notes. Many thanks to Victoria, who's helping us out with the show notes. Many thanks to Jacob, who does the editing on this show. And zero thanks to me, who does zero prep before every episode. It is true. It's true. It's true. Well, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, we'll see you in hell. Goodbye. Bye-bye. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.